Welcome to Mind Training and Homotherapy, a podcast that explores ideas to help you live a life that is more purposeful, intentional, and fulfilled. I am your host, Dr. Henry Gregory, and I thank you for tuning in. Hello, folks. I hope everyone's doing well out there. Lots going on in these days and times as we live through the transition of life on this planet. Lots of uh, drama, lots of turmoil, chaos, and lots of hurt and pain. These are challenging times in which children are growing. So today I'd like to kind of follow up on a previous presentation and talk some about parenting and give you perhaps a model of working with um, the needs of young people. As I see it, one of the main needs young people have in these days is for nurturance. As we previously talked about, there are three main tasks of parenting. Socialization, helping children to understand rules, um, demands um, of, of uh, life. Protection, keeping them safe, secure. And nurturance. Nurturance is helping them to feel good about themselves, helping them to see potential, to have hope, and to develop competencies. As I see it right now, we are having a crisis in nurturance for young people on the planet. And it's being acted out in so many ways. It gets acted out through the violence. It gets acted out through uh, neglect, through anger, through displacement. It gets acted out a lot of different ways. Because think about it. You know, children coming up these days are typically more sensitive than perhaps other generations because the species continues to evolve. And as such, they are in many cases overstimulated by all the things that are coming through them through social media and other vehicles that continually bombard them with information that they have to absorb, incorporate into their lives. So when children are not adequately nurtured, then they don't necessarily have the confidence, the self-esteem, and sometimes even the will to do what they need to do to take care of themselves. You know, as a, a clinician working in a variety of, of settings, I see it over and over again. People cannot give what they haven't received. 
So if they haven't been nurtured, haven't been helped to see what their competencies are, haven't been helped to see uh, what their potential is, haven't been, been rewarded in a positive way, then it's easy to sink into negativity and to feel hopeless and helpless. And when you get there, kind of anything goes. So what I'd like to present to you uh, briefly is a model of parenting that was developed um, by my late wife, Jeanette Gregory. We call it Total Love Parenting. And it's just a six-sequence steps of responses to, to young people's needs that elevate as you go along. So in this six-step model, the first step is to assess whether the expectations you have of the young person are realistic or not. In terms of the, the developmental age, in terms of their understanding, their readiness or their investment in what you want, and also in terms of their personality or individual differences. Um, Many of you know you can have a set of twins and they can have totally different personalities. One is good at listening and one is good at talking. Uh, One likes quiet and one likes a lot of activity. So children are different and when we respond to them we need to take into account their uniqueness because we want to meet them where they are rather than require that they come to where we are. So instead of shaping the young people to what we want them to be, it is our job to help them be who they are in a more pure state, in a functional state. So it's not our will, but the universe's will that we're trying to submit to and help that person to grow into that. So it might be my idea that um, the child needs a um, college degree and needs to go into this field or that field and whatever. Um, But that child may have a spirit, may have an inclination to do something that is more artistic, more uh, spontaneous. So what he or she is uh, shaped for may not be the same as what my desires. My job is to help them be the best version of themselves, not be the version that I choose for them. So a second step in that process of having that happen is what we call showing understanding, also known as active or reflective listening. And that's simply starting off after you assess whether this child, this is a real an expect, a realistic expectation for this child, then you listen to the child and give them some feedback on what you hear their response being, particularly attending to their feelings. You say, oh, this is making you a little nervous, or seems like this is scary for you. 
you're excited about this. You know, helping them to uh, identify, label feelings and intentions. Because so much of growing into oneself is about developing emotional competence. And that happens when parents express emotions and help young people to identify their emotions. So when we can identify and label emotions, then we are better able to deal with them. As you know, some of the neuroscientists say, if you can name it, you can tame it. But if you don't learn to identify emotions and to work with them, they will work on you. Because they are a major way, a major part of our human experience. So when we're showing understanding, that means we're actually going into the child's world and interpreting what they're saying or expressing from their point of view. We're trying to understand uh, whatever we're requiring of them from their point of view and sharing that with them to show some understanding for who they are, how they're perceiving things, and how they are reacting to that, like that. That's meeting them where they are, meeting them where they are. So once you do that, the next phase becomes um, what we call a parent message, where the parent will say to the child, what he or she wants, uh, expects, desires, and how the parent is feeling. So instead of the parent saying, how you say, well, I'm concerned that you did this, or I'm concerned that this happened, or that um, you're not safe, or that... Um, I didn't like when that happened. In other words, the parent is talking about how they are feeling rather than blaming the child and saying, you did this, you did that, you did that. You know? from, that from, from this perspective, the parent uses what we call an I message and says how they feel. This is scary for me. Um, I'm really concerned when this and this happens, um, I, I don't like this, or or this makes me nervous. When dot dot dot, so when the parent does that, then the parent is actually modeling for the child how to own their own feelings, sharing their concerns in a way that's not putting the child down or blaming. It's saying, from my perspective. This is what's happening. I like that. You know, um, I was in a, a, a store um, a, a week or two ago, and there were, as I was taking my cart and going through an aisle, two little guys ran out in front of me. <laughs> and it, it was interesting because they reminded me of me and my brother, my older brother. Um, and their mother said, she, she hollered at him and told him to come back. 
And, um, you know, she was trying to be respectful of my space, but she was just hollering at them, and then she hit both of them. Uh, and it just, it just broke my heart because she is trying to be respectful of me. She's trying to teach them to how to act in the store. She is trying to um, have some order, really good intentions. But the messages she gave by the negative way she went at them and then hitting them, that creates another reality for them. First of all, where they are seeing themselves in a negative way and where they begin to um, see violence as a way of dealing with things. So there were a lot of what I considered unhealthy messages in that interaction by this mother who obviously loved her sons. They were they were well taken care of. They were happy boys. Um, but when she started acting like that, she was giving them a whole different set of messages. So what we're proposing, there are other ways to, to deal with disciplining and directing uh, children that help their esteem rather than lower it. So the, th- the, 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 the fourth aspect of this uh, model is what we call structuring. It's planning ahead. Planning ahead. That means you, you, you structure your surroundings and events so that they will remind the young person of what you want out of them and um, make success more um, viable, more, more viable. So one way you might structure if you're going to the store like that, you might talk to the young people in advance about what you want um, and require something of them. Maybe that they um, hold hands or that one pushes a cart and the other um, goes, looks in the aisle for things, give them something to do. But you structure the event so there's not as much room for uh, misinterpretation or freestyling like that. It's it's the difference in having a regular bedtime and get up and and, and, and getting up time for a child than having it freestyling or having some um, regular chores for a child so that person knows what's expected of them, and what they're going to be held accountable for. Because responsibility and accountability actually help the nurturing process when there's consistency in it. The the fifth aspect, and remember, all these are progressive now. Realistic expectations, showing understanding, giving parenting message, structuring, And then comes reinforcement. So reinforcement is praising a child or youth and showing appreciation for for good behavior. Um, That means you have to be actively looking for something that you can say, good job, I like that, boom. We all respond 
better to having positive reinforcement than negative interventions. It helps us to feel good about ourselves and encourages us to participate and cooperate more. And that to me is a primary way that uh, youth are nurtured. Somebody needs to be saying, good job. Uh, you look good t today. I, well, at least, at least you tried. You know, be finding something in what they are doing that you can give them some positive feedback. Because at some level, it's about how that person feels about themselves. And if you can show that even when they think they've made a mistake or missed a mark, if you can show them that you appreciate at least their effort or part of what they did or their intention, then you are building their esteem. You are creating a vision of the possibility of success and helping them to feel better about what they've done. So you're creating a cycle of approval rather than disapproval. And when youth have that, they tend to be more connected more connected, more cooperative. When they feel isolated and nobody has said, good job, um, uh, I like what you're doing, you know, I appreciate you, when nobody has said that, then they go get the, uh, that feedback in ways that may not be as healthy. I think I've said this before, I remember coming up in, in, in the neighborhoods and there used to be so much stuff for youth to do that we didn't have to pay exuberant, exuberantly for. Um, you know, uh, uh, recreation centers and organized sports and uh, cadets and, 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 and dance groups and all of that. So besides your parents parenting you, there were people in the community who supervised parents and gave you good feedback. Because again, when you talk about even com competing in competitive things, learning baseball and basketball and something, you have your coaches and whatever, and it's not about winning, but it's about the process of learning how to do your best and to work as a team. So again, there's, there's some structuring that happens there. There's some clear um, messages and positive reinforcement to get people to actualize their potential. And the more places it comes from, the better. My issue with our society is that we spend so much energy exploiting young people, but not giving them um, that positive reinforcement and the nurturance that um, they deserve. We use them so much as just consumers, and we'll sell anything to them themselves, pretty much. We've talked about that before. But, so the last piece on this part about uh, pro progressive uh, response or discipline is about rules, limits, and consequences. Rules, limits, and consequences. So basically what we're saying that um, rules must be stated in a clear and positive way. 
I used to recommend famines all the time. You know, you put them on the refrigerator if you, if you want, but have as few as possible. You don't want to have 20 rules of a kid, if, you know, for small kids. You may have, you know, three, maybe five. Maybe the rule is uh, you make your bed when you get up. Maybe the rule is uh, you wash dishes after, after you eat, whatever. Um, but there are clear rules. And I remember last time we, we, we talked, uh, Daryl, you talked about having family meetings. Family meetings are an excellent way to reinforce um, these things. To, to talk about expectations, structuring, and talk about rules, limits, and consequences. So, so young people know up front, if they break a certain rule, then they will have a certain consequence. If you don't take out the trash, then you may lose access to the television, you know, or your phone or whatever, whatever appropriate. You want to do something that's age-appropriate and the older the, the, the youth are, the more you want them to be involved in determining what the consequences should be. The parents make the, the final decision, but you can ask the youth, say, well, if you don't do what we agree with, what do you think the consequence should be? That's getting buy-in. <laughs> My experience is that most of the time, uh, adolescents will, will go too hard on that. And the parents have to back up a little bit and do something that's more reasonable. You know, <laughs> you say, well, if I don't do it, I'm, I'm, I should lose, lose the use of my phone till next year. Say, wait, wait, wait. Um, okay, how about for a week? You know, because remember, consequences are about getting people's attention and refocusing them. It's not about uh, punishing them or getting them back. It's about getting their attention. So if you give somebody a consequence that's too big, they just become overwhelmed and, you know, don't, don't pay attention to it one way or another. But if you give them something that's achievable, um, then even as they do that, they feel a certain amount of success like that. So, you know, e effective discipline avoid, avoids blame um, it is, you know, about, um, it's about being proactive and, again, involving the youth as much as possible in uh, whatever is set up. And the key word, the key word with parenting, uh, especially discipline, is consistency. Any child worth his salt knows um, how to split their parents. They know uh, which parent uh, will follow through with what they say and which ones don't. When there is a consistent front and there's consistent accountability and responsibility, then everybody is clear what's going on and things are more predictable for the youth. That, that predictability provides security because I know that if I don't do my chores, then I'm going to have to stay in because that's the way my mom and dad carry it like that. As opposed to, well, if I don't do it, you know, and I make enough uh, complaints, I might be able to get past this or whatever, whatever. You know, 
you're teaching. It's, it's a continual teaching process. And when it's done with love rather than out of, out of fear or anger, it's a whole different thing. As a matter of fact, the recommendation is if you as a parent are really angry about what had happened, it's better to wait until you calm down before you approach the young person because it's not about the anger. You want to do it out of love. And if you're just reacting yourself, then you're modeling the very behavior that you may be trying to eliminate like that. Oh, and one other piece, Daryl, I remember last time we talked about parenting and you talked about um, being able to go back to, and, and um, apologize to your children. That's, that kind of thing is invaluable. You're demonstrating to them that we all are capable of making mistakes and can do better. And you're, you're owning yours. And if you own yours, you're modeling for them so that they can own theirs. So, so again, you know, this is a progressive a progressive. Uh, model, if you will, that talks about what are re realistic expectations, um, how to show understanding to the young person, and then how to give them clear messages without blaming, um, how to structure things for success, and then uh, how to do positive reinforcement for, for what they do or what they attempt to do, even sometimes just what they, uh, what they express. And ultimately, if nothing else is, is, is working, then you go to your rules, limits, and consequences. But you do it out of love, you do it with compassion, you do it with um, consistency. Okay. That, that enough for a start? Oh, wow. Um, more than enough for a start. Um, I'm going to start by saying that this is a very difficult topic for me. And the reason that it's a very difficult topic for me is because I love my children so much. And because I love my children so much, I am very hard on myself as a parent, very hard on myself. Um, and with that being said, I know that I do well as a parent. I make my mistakes like all parents do. You mentioned that I apologize to my children when you know I've made a mistake in some way or I felt like I could have done something better. Um, but even with that said, I know I'm really hard on myself as a parent, you know? And so the more information that I receive when it comes to parenting and just, you know, awareness and things like that, it's very natural to think to yourself, man, I wish I would have had this information so long ago. And I'm not the type of person that feels like everyone should have or do everything. But this is one of those instances where I feel like everyone needs therapy, you know, because there are certain things that just do not come natural to the average person um, when it comes to how they approach things, you know, because we are all people with our own experiences, our own models and how we grew up and patterns that we don't wish to repeat. All those things come into play in how we end up parenting our children, you know? And so having the ability to step outside of that 
and be very intentional about, you know, how we go about our parenting. Um, it's, it's very critical. But a lot of people aren't able to, to do that, you know, whether at all or just for an, a temporary amount of time until they really figure things out. So you mentioned that woman in the store. You know, I have empathy for that woman because she allowed her own fear, her own emotion, her own um, desire for control. And I would like to think her own desire for wanting the best out of her children yes. to cloud her judgment. You know, mm -hmm. and so um, so I want to say all that to say I don't give very much parenting advice at all. But the one thing that I will say is give yourself some grace as a parent. Give yourself some grace because we don't always get it right. A lot of things we learn over time, certain things that we didn't get right with the first child. We get it right with the second child and so on and so forth. You know, so don't beat yourself up. Allow yourself an abundance of grace because it is hard. It is very hard. Um, one of the things that you said early on that struck a chord with me, and I can't remember exactly how you said it, but um, it was basically about not um, trying to shape the child into what you want them to be, but allowing, nurturing them based on, you know, who they are. And one thing that I do give myself credit for is treating my children as individuals. I've always been really big on that. So, I, you know, my children are four years apart, so it's a little easier, you know, than it would be if they were closer in age. But, you know, people are people, they're individuals. And so I don't have the same expectations or I don't, um, you know, do the same things even oftentimes with one child that I do with the other because they're different, you know, and not in a way of parenting them differently, but relating to them differently you know, and the activities that we engage in, they're different. So for instance, um, over the summer or uh, as the summer came to a close, um, Drew and I, my son, we went to New York together. Now, my initial thought was that we could go to New York as a family, you know, do a day trip, spend the day there, go around walking and exploring. But my wife oftentimes doesn't like doing a lot of walking, you know, unless she's really prepared for it. My daughter doesn't like being around people, you know, in big crowds, I should say. But my son, he really wanted to do it. So what did I do? I just took him by himself. You know, it's like no need to, you know, try to force my daughter yes. to do something that my son would be more aligned with. And there was no need to not do it at all because everybody else didn't want or wouldn't be um, as inclined to do it. So it's like, OK, this will be a father son thing. You know, we just we took the train up and we spent the entire day in New York and he had an, an amazing time. You know, um, my daughter and I, we um, Lately, we've been watching a couple of TV series together. So that's part of how we bond. We found a couple of TV shows online or not online on uh, Hulu. And uh, we will watch it like multiple episodes at a time. We'll binge it until we've gone through multiple seasons and we'll laugh. We'll talk about the characters. We'll ask who your favorite characters are. And she's, you know, outgoing in that way. And that was one of my ways of bonding with her. That's something that I don't do as much with my son because he doesn't watch as much TV. So it's like, you know, each child is different. So it's important to recognize their individuality and lean into their individuality and don't expect them to be the same. And most importantly, don't expect them to be exactly like you. You know, because that's the other thing. Oftentimes we can expect our children to be mirrors of us and they are not. You know, they have some of our qualities and the things that we instill. They may have some some of our characteristics, but they are their own human beings. And they live, they're coming up in a different time. 
and they're coming up in a different time. So that that really struck a chord with me. Um, the other thing that you said that struck a chord with me was about positive reinforcement, because one of the things that you said to me a long time ago that stays with me to this day is that everybody wants to be good at something. And this is where I get a little bit emotional. There isn't a single child that does not want to make their parents proud. And when you show them that you can be proud of them for something, they're going to want to repeat that because that gives them encouragement, Mm -hmm. you know. So, you know, or if they get all their attention from acting up, then they're going to become good at that. If they can't get positively rewarded for doing something socially acceptable, then they'll go after being good at something that's not socially acceptable. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, we have to allow our children to feel positive reinforcement for something, you know. Some parents, you know, they do it for many things and those children, you know, grow up probably feeling really good about themselves and have an abundance of confidence. But certain children grow up feeling like they're not good at anything and their parents were never proud of them, you know. And, um, you know, um, I'm, I'm sure my son won't like me talking about all this stuff, but I'll try not to be super specific. But we've had a journey, um, you know, over the past couple of years as it pertained to his grades. And um, this year he's been doing really well, you know, and so I took a peek at his grades recently and I saw how well he was doing. And so, you know, I think it was the next morning we were on our way. I was taking him to the bus stop and I said, you know, Drew, I had a peek at your grades recently and automatically I saw him start to get a little bit nervous, you know, even though he knew himself that he was doing well. But, you know, interpretations are different. And so he. Just the old pattern. The old pattern of whenever we would talk about grades, you know, sometimes it wouldn't be, you know, the, the most positive conversation. And I turned to him and I said, you're doing a phenomenal job. I said, you're doing a phenomenal job. And I gave him a pound, you know, gave him a fist bump. And I said, I'm proud of you, you know. And um, the other day he came to me and let me know that he did really well on the test. The significance of that is that he would hate talking about grades. He would hate to be asked about his grades. But now that he's gotten some positive reinforcement, now he's coming to me and wants to tell me about the good job that he's done. Every child wants to be good at something, you know, so that that really um, that really struck a major chord with me. There was one more thing. And I I unfortunately cannot remember um, what it was. But overall, Um, I think that everything that you laid out is absolutely brilliant. There's been a lot of um, conversation around parenting kind of in the social media spaces. There's this um, trend of what they call gentle parenting. I think that's a terrible term because it's like it gives the impression that parents should be completely like, you know, um, what's the word for it? Like like benevolent to their children in a way like not benevolent, but basically bowing down to their children. When people kind of use the phrase in gentle parenting, it makes it seem as if, you know, parents should just allow themselves to just be walked all over. It's not that. It's just being aware of yourself. You know, that's that's the biggest part of it is you mentioned just now, you know, when you go to discipline your child or have a conversation, make sure you've dealt with your own emotion first. And that's where it starts, you know, dealing with yourself, because, you know, we don't want to give our children just our frustration, our anger. At the end of the day, we do want to be productive. And we also don't want to give them the remnants of 
the negative aspects of how we may have come up or things that we're experiencing. Because because to be honest, our children can trigger us sometimes. You know, they can give us reminders of unpleasant experiences. And now they're getting something that had nothing to do with them at all. Oh, that's an excellent point. So much of what we do with other people has nothing to do with the other person. It's just something triggered in us. So they're doing something that reminds us of something in our childhood unconsciously and we begin to act it out. Exactly, exactly. A a couple pieces. When you talk about the general parenting, I don't know know the model specifically. I do know this. In many cultures and subcultures, physical discipline was a regular part of the culture. Mm. Um, As we have continued to evolve in these current cultures, it seems not to fit. Mm? It seems not to fit. There are so many ways you can get a child's attention that um, you don't have to hit them. Like I say, um, taking the phone may do a whole lot more uh, getting their attention than than hitting them like like that. And uh, like I say, hitting so often expresses our anger, it creates dissonance in the relationship, and it's against the law, and, and, and depending on how you, how you do it. So, but there are so many ways to get a child's attention that it's really not necessary to do that. So I, I, I like gentle but firm. You know, if you say, no, we're not doing that today, you know, that can be much more powerful than making a, a big uh, drama about it that you're not going to be consistent with. But if the child knows from how, you've, how you're expressing yourself and how you've handled yourself before, when I say no, I mean no. You know, I'm setting a limit. No, we cannot do this today, or you can't do this today, or only after this is done can you do that. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I'm glad that you said that because that's the part that I'm that I um I couldn't remember what I wanted to talk about is um the whole idea of um, consequences. One of the things that I've been talking about in therapy recently is um, what my therapist calls natural consequences. So oftentimes as parents, we try to put our own consequences in front of the natural consequences so that our children don't have to deal with the natural consequences. You know what I'm saying? And so, you know, we get caught up in, you know, trying to protect our children from what may happen. That's the positive intent, but it comes out in a very controlling way. Exactly. And so, you know, one of the examples of that is, um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm laughing because at some point my son is going to hear this stuff, but it's, it's very active with him because he's older, you know. And so um, one of the things that he struggled with is um, getting up on time because he has to get up, you know, pretty early, you know. But it is what it is. He got, got probably 800 other students in the school that has to get up early, too, you know, but he struggled with it. And so um, I would, you know, get frustrated with it and stuff like that because he's got to get up. And if he doesn't get up on time, get to the bus stop on time, then I have to jump on the highway and take him to school. And it's a whole ordeal. You know, it it affects on my day as well. Um, But what I realized, you know, this year as it pertained to, you know, the, you know, tardiness and as it pertained to grades and things like that, he has to experience it himself 
and develop his own sense of whether it really matters to him. You know, and so what I said to him, you know, at the start of this year, because I saw it starting to start things started to follow that same path. I said, Drew, I said, I'm not doing this this year. You know, I said, um, if you don't get up on time, you know, or you don't get, you know, downstairs or out the door by a certain time, you're just going to be very late. You know, because I'm not going to, you know, stress myself to get you to school on time. I'm not going to absorb your consequences is basically the thing. And so after a couple of instances of that, you know, we had a conversation about it. And he, he said to me, I realize I don't like being late. <laughs> but he said, because he said, I get to school and I get in class and I'm like almost an hour late and I walk into the classroom and everybody's looking at me and it's embarrassing. Mm. And the entire time, you know, I was trying to save him yes. from that by putting it on my shoulders, mm -hmm. which increased my frustration because now I'm being penalized. I'm accepting the penalty for him, you know, being late. But it's like, you're just not gonna get to school on time and I'm gonna go on with the other things that I need to do for the morning. And then when I'm ready, I'll go ahead and take you to school, yes. you know? And, um, you know, so it was the natural consequences. And so he had to decide for himself that he didn't like being late. He had to figure that for himself. It couldn't come from me. I couldn't force him to have an appreciation for timeliness. He had to figure it out. A natural consequence. You spend all your allowance, then you're broke. Then you're broke. Yes. <laughs> but again, that may kick in and you may figure out how to avoid that. But if somebody's bailing you out all the time, then you don't have a reason to figure it out. Yeah. And so a lot of parents, they have this approach. Well, I'm going to be tough on my children because the world is tougher than me. So I'm trying to, you know, prevent them from or, or trying to prepare them in some way to deal with the toughness of the world. But with certain things, you got to just let them deal with it, you know, because you don't want them to resent you and just to have you as being there almost like their opposition. Like, OK, if that's what you want to do, I understand what that may lead to, but you may not get it and you don't necessarily want to hear it from me. So I got to go ahead and just let you, you know, experience it and, and, you know, and see for yourself what that's like, you know, and that's a tough thing for parents to do yeah. is to relinquish that sense of control and protection. And that's what a lot of that um, behavior, you know, stems from just a true desire to want to protect our children, yes. you know, but it just comes out in a, you know, in a nonproductive way oftentimes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if I can go back for a minute, I certainly have a lot of um, compassion for parents that have a lot of children or, or single, uh, and, and they may be, both of the parents may have to work a lot, or a single parent, you know, who are so busy that they don't have a lot of time to individualize the nurturance for their kids. But it is necessary, and like I say, it's not just the parents' responsibility, it's the community's responsibility, too. Uh, this society is so much about um, commodifying, you know, making money and, and power that we don't do as well a job, as, in my estimation, of taking care of people. But communities have to um, take care of the children, nurture the children collectively if we're going to have healthy children, safe communities. It's not about just giving consequences to kids. You have to feed them up front. Feed them up front. Help them to 
meet their needs, feel connections, um, understand who they are and what their potential is if they're going to have a chance of making it like that. So it's, it's a, co a collective deal. And as we talk about all of this, and, and as you were talking about y your um, triggers with your son, you know, we're still talking about parenting ourselves because <laughs> we all have issues from uh, early in our lives that create patterns that are still being acted out. So at some level, when we can do a better job of parenting ourselves, uh, being, con being consistent, giving ourselves positive f feedback, um, helping our, showing understanding to ourselves, all those things, then we do a better job of parenting ourselves like that. So it's an ongoing process. But as long as we're here, you know, it's one that I think that's worthy of our time and energy. So, folks, that, uh, that was a lot, but I hope you, you, there's some pieces in there that you can take and experiment with and see how they may affect you and your role um, as a parent um, of your children, a parent in the community, and um, see what works for you. See what works for you. So blessings to you all. Have a good day. Um, parent yourself, your children, and keep growing. Blessings.